Welcome to the Student Affairs Nerds Podcast. We're a group of student affairs professionals, cool to some and nerdy to others. We gather together to bring you this podcast designed to elevate the genius ideas and initiatives of educators across higher education who support student achievement and success. Our panel of insightful friends and guests will highlight creative pivots, best practices, and unique services that touch the lives of students and serve campuses. Your nerdy hosts are Dr. Jamie Hoffman, Mr. Solomon Matthews, Dr. James McGee, and Mr. Dustin Ramsdale. We hope that you will enjoy this exciting addition to the Higher Ed Geek family of podcasts. We are here for this episode, sort of a overarching, broadly applicable, evergreen topic, learning from mistakes, uh, something that continually happens for any sort of uh, hired professional out there and all the different things that we do in our roles, whether it's working with students, working with our colleagues uh, or anything like that. You know, it's just something that uh, we have to be open to. We have to be open to the fact that we may not know everything all the time and we may just, uh, you know, fumble and stumble sometimes, but uh, take those as opportunities. Uh, so this topic kind of just came to me, felt like it'd be good to uh, cover with the group where you share an anecdote, uh, something that's sort of relevant to those kind of learning moments, uh, educational uh, opportunities, and yeah, just learning from mistakes. So I will kick us off as usual. Uh, the one I always think of, because I feel like this comes up sometimes for like interview questions. Uh, and the thing that always comes uh, top of mind is when I was in grad school, I worked in res life as a grad. And uh, when we were getting ready for opening, we had, you know, the little uh, folders with all the keys. Uh, and we had to, you know, just make sure that keys didn't get mixed up because, you know, students checking in, checking out, they, you know, and then the student staff might have just slipped them into the wrong folders. We need to make sure the right keys go to the right rooms and everything. I felt pretty confident. I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't think that that was a major issue. I think we did a pretty good job with that. Let me spot check a couple, you know, things look good. Then we'll just kind of go from there. Um, and of course, I think hindsight, uh, I'm sure anybody listening as I'm telling this story, um, there were some mistakes, like he's just getting kind of, you know, swapped out or just uh, out of order and different things. You know, we ended up having to kind of like backtrack and double check and do it again. And some people kind of, you know, getting a key and it wasn't like one, they brought it back. We had to, you know, uh, go back to kind of the master file folder to say like, okay, this, you know, numbered key should go with this room. And okay, so I see, you know, that you got the wrong key and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it, it, it's something that I know I still struggle with kind of the impetus of the uh, urge to get things done as quickly as possible, uh, you know, isn't always the best thing. Like it can work out pretty well where, you know, you are being uh, efficient, but then you're sort of, uh, you know, shooting yourself in the foot, you know, like you're, you're making more work for yourself, uh, later if you're not actually like doing it right the first time, slowing down, uh, checking your work and knowing that, uh, the details matter, especially, you know, students checking into the res hall, it's, you know, it's an opening time, it's stressful, it's moving. And, you know, there's a lot of people moving around and a lot of emotions. Uh, so if something like a key not working, that's kind of a bad first impression. It's just more work for people. Um, so, it's something that, again, I, I continually try to keep, uh, you know, mindful of and uh, try to do better with. But uh, I think I'm sure an undercurrent for this is that, uh, you know, in some ways, these learning moments aren't just one and done. It was like, yep, I made the mistake once and then never again. Um, you know, I've, I've been uh, known to, again, uh, try to move a little too quickly for my own good and kind of uh, fumble that way. So 
Um, that was the thing that came first to mind. We'll go to James next for uh, your learning opportunity that you share. I think all of us have had that moment with the keys where we thought everything is fun and it just is <laughs> not. Um, that seems to be a, a common res life situation. Uh, for me, I think, you know, when I started out in student affairs as a young professional, I came into it with the understanding that I was going to help people and that I was going to share the information and make sure that people understood what was going on and that we were going to communicate in, you know, awesome, open ways. Um, and one of the things that, that, you know, starts to happen as I, I spent a lot of time working in conduct and I would get people who called and they were upset or angry. Um, and I tried to explain to them what the facts of the situation were, how the process worked. And what I quickly learned was that facts and feelings are not friends. And if someone was feeling some kind of way, as my students say today, um, that it did very little good for me to throw a fact at them about what was going on. I needed to first hear what they were talking about to empathize with the feelings they had, to settle the feeling piece, and then I could share with them what the process was and what I could do. Um, I also learned to ask um, what the ideal situation that they were looking for was instead of trying to impose upon them what I thought the ideal situation should be um, before we begin to have that conversation about what happens next. I learned that being right wasn't the same as being helpful. Um, and sometimes when I was insist insisting that I was right, I was not being helpful to the overall situation. And so over the years, I've learned to be much more empathetic, to listen more, to try to hear where students and parents are, and then to help them get to where I am by being really transparent about what I'm trying to accomplish with them. And and to help them to understand that I do feel that I want to be helpful to them and I want to help them along the way. Um, so I think listening and, and, and remembering always that facts and feelings are not friends and that you can't combat one with the other. Yeah, I just wanted to respond to this really quickly because I know that, that I'll definitely say like uh, conduct is not for me. I'm not made for it to be, you know, kind of assertive and, you know, uh, adjudicating uh, students to these sort of things. But I know when I was talking with people kind of exploring it in grad school, that piece of what you're saying of that, uh, you can do that work empathetically, you know, like the policies are what they are. Yep. The student, you know, violated them. They, you know, obviously always are kind of signing on and should be reading their handbook and those sort of things. Like they, they should understand what the policies are and all that, but you can, operate in that space with a sense of understanding of why they might choose to do that, why they might have felt some, you know, peer pressure or different things. And I've known people who really uh, operate in that way. And the way that they might like sanction somebody is also in a very uh, developmental way. Like, cause I, I know that probably many conduct professionals in higher ed do operate with a very developmental mindset, but um you know, sometimes that might not be the case, you know, just depending on any number of factors for what's going on, you might just want to be like, well, I want to give you consequences. I want this to be punitive and I want you to feel bad. I want you to like know that you did wrong and always feel like guilt or shame. So you don't do it again. And it's like, that's their point of view. And it's like, I'm sure that maybe works sometimes, but uh, it definitely was eye opening because I know that that was even my like initial point of view on conduct is like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, you're just bringing down the hammer on people and, you know doing all that kind of stuff, but um, it can be really uh, yeah, empathetic and developmental work. So it's, it's uh, great to hear kind of how you're 
journey led you to that uh, realization as well. Well, you know, and Dustin, I think one of the interesting pieces is I always tell young professionals who are interested in conduct that if they feel really good about punishing people, they shouldn't be doing conduct, that they really need to consider, are they there to help the person? Because there have been a number of times in conduct where as I'm having a conversation about the behavior that I'm, that I'm supposed to be adjudicating, the conversation really becomes about what caused the behavior. And I have said, okay, we need to put a pin in this decision right now. And let's talk about how do we help you get to where you need to be. And we can come back and revisit the behavior later, because it seems like you have some needs that need to be met, whether that is through, you know, one of the women or gender center, whether that's through um, counseling, whether that's through health services, whatever caused the need to either self-medicate or to act out or or to, to have that bad judgment, let's take care of that piece first, like you said, through the empathetic lens, and then move on to the other piece. And I really think the conduct professionals have to really think about that. And, and are they really there to help the student and the parent? Or are they there just to put down the hammer? And if they're there for the latter, then they definitely shouldn't be doing that at all. So I think we're going to turn it over now to Solomon. Really enjoyed hearing about the lessons you learned through your kind of earlier years. And I just love that we're all sharing stories from our earlier parts of our career, because I'm about to do that as well. But um, that's not to say that we're, we're still not making mistakes today, right? Um, but one of the first kind of situations that I thought of and was like a, a, a pretty big pain point for me and um, my first year as a professional out of grad school, I was working as a graduate and career advisor for um, the School of Education at USC. And, you know, one of the parts of the semester that gets everyone riled up is course registration. And our process for making sure students were cleared for the classes was very, very tedious. And so it was through like a bunch of spreadsheets. I was managing three different programs and everything was right for two out of my three programs. But for that third program, which was our biggest, I put the wrong registration date on the spreadsheet. And so every single student that was on that spreadsheet had an incorrect date and time. And so when they went to register the morning of registration, they weren't able to. And so our phones went crazy. Emails went crazy. Classes were filling up because other students who did have permission for those classes were able to get them. And so it just created a large panic and probably one of the most you know, vocal <laughs> programs uh, that I managed. And so it was a huge learning lesson for me and one that, you know, as many times as you think you've checked something over, you have to check it again. And then um, on the flip side of just how we had to address you know, the student concerns and helping them get the classes that they had in their course bin and that they had talked to me about previously. And now, you know, everything was changing in terms of what was available because, you know, other students already had access. We had to do some one-on-one -on -one troubleshooting. It required a lot of patience, which academic advising in general requires a lot of patience. But when it's something that you've messed up and now you have to work with students on. You, it requires even more patience because they know on their side they've done everything uh, that they've done. So it's clear that <laughs> it, it was on my side of things where things went wrong. And so um, just really having to go above and beyond and helping them rectify like their 
courses or their course plans. Um, but it also taught me how much administration is actually in the day-to-day work. I think as a grad student, we get a little bit more opportunity for, um, you know, student engagement and more, I guess, exciting aspects of the work. And then as soon as you become a professional, it's spreadsheets and sys and all these other platforms that um, we have to learn and use every day that it's kind of like, you know, in a way, not, not the most exciting. And um, I think I had to come to terms with that my first year, just how much administrative tasks are actually tied to the work. Um, and I actually still struggle with that a little bit at times because um, obviously that's not, you know, what motivates me to get out of bed every day, but I understand the role that it plays in how we work with students and what we do for them. So that's my that's my little anecdote there. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to Jamie to hear uh, what lessons she learned over the years. Okay. Thank you, Solomon. I So first of all, I wanted to respond to your comments. Uh, two things that made me think, and this also relates a little bit, I think, to Dustin's, but um, having now worked in ed tech, I can't help but like wonder if some of these issues could be addressed by just being better supported by technology, like really is like a spreadsheet, the most efficient way to achieve that goal. There's got to be like a, a better way to even automate it for more accuracy. But um, the the other thing I just think about too is like, does it, is it really the best use of university resources to have trained professionals, master's degree, some doctorate, trained professionals with all of this expertise, um, spending their time dealing with keys or dealing with spreadsheets, et cetera. I mean, even in my role, I I do handle some like logistics as well, but I just, I, I sometimes wish we could wave like a magic wand and like start from fresh on how to really staff to, to our needs and optimize the expertise that people bring. Um, but those were just some of my, my thoughts from, from what you all shared. Okay. And so listen, I have a handful of lessons I'm going to share and it seems like we have time. So I'm going to share them and I'll, but I'll like pause, uh, to see, cause I bet that you all have had some of these lessons as well. Okay. Well, first of all, um, one of my like tactical misses is similar to Dustin's in that, I was, um, I'm like almost, I don't even know if you can tell, but like, I'm almost embarrassed to tell this story. And it was like probably 10 years ago. Um, wait till the next one. That one's even more embarrassing. So, so I was overseeing a student leadership awards process and ceremony. And we used to recognize students who, um, you know, a, a large quantity, like a few hundred students who met some specific criteria um, it was for the who's who of colleges and universities. And so going back to the spreadsheets, I had this massive spreadsheet of like 1,400 students. And I was like cross-checking the columns to see who was eligible, right? So I, I separated out those that were officially eligible and that we were going to notify that they received the reward, sorry, award and would be recognized at the upcoming award ceremony. And, you know, being the like tech person that I feel like I am, I was like, totally going to mail merge this. It's going to be great. I can click a few buttons 
and everybody will be happy, except what happens if you click the wrong buttons and you send the list to the students who actually didn't get the award, which by the way, it's like 1100 students. Um, yeah, that was a major ass lesson in slow down, um, pilot test before you send out to a huge listserv and be ready to be humble because, uh, that was a, a major, very major embarrassment. Cause you know, we had like students who had told their parents to prepare to come to this ceremony, all of the things that you can imagine. So, um, so yeah, that was tough. Um, so that was one lesson. Okay. Any, anybody have any comments on this, on that lesson? Have you had any embarrassing moments like that too? I know, uh, Dustin, you mentioned the keys, the key debacle. That would be pretty bad if, if the wrong people had the wrong keys. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I, I appreciate you sharing it and uh, kind of humbling yourself uh, before us all and everything. But yeah, I empathize. I think it's just those examples that we have where it's like something was objectively wrong. Like, and that is just like, it's a gut punch versus like a little bit like of what James was saying is like, oh, it's maybe like a stylistic thing, like really kind of refining your uh, kind of methodology of how you work with students versus just sort of kind of being heavy handed. Like the key was wrong the list was wrong. Like yeah. the registration, like the registration date was wrong. Like those are those moments where it's like, Whoa, okay. Yeah. Let me like, you know, check myself here and try to really, you know, earnestly do better next time. So uh, yeah. yeah, definitely a, a strong reaction from me and just <laughs> noticing that uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, recurrent uh, pattern here so far. Yeah. I think it's also interesting when you realize that the mistake has occurred my first year um, at the college that I'm working at now, I was overseeing an award ceremony as well, Jamie, and uh, I had um, gotten up to to read the list of presidents of a certain group of organizations, and I read them all. And as I was finishing, I started to hear murmurs in the crowd, just like the murmur of death, you know, the one that says, oh boy, you've messed up. And I couldn't <laughs> figure out why, so I had to just wait, right? Um, I got back to my office, and there was about an eight-page email Oh, no. um, from a student whose name was left off the list um, and felt that they had been completely admonished and wrong. And, you know, I was a fairly new professional at the time. I think I'd been in the field about four years and um, the best way that I could come up with to handle it was that I just said, I'm wrong. And I was sorry um, yeah. that it was not intentional, uh, but it happened and I couldn't take it back. Um, but it was not done as a slight. And I sent an email out to everybody who went to the ceremony who RSVP to it, telling them that it was left off um, and that we were sorry that that had happened. Um, so it was, you know, about owning the mistake and, you know, being authentic about it, that mistakes happen. Um, yeah. And so that for me was important to learn, but it didn't feel good at all. No. No, it it really doesn't. And there's just like, there's like literally nothing you can do, but, but to apologize. So, um, let's see, speaking of apologies. Okay. All right. I don't know if I should, I'm no, I'm going to save the funniest one to last. Okay. So I'll say a less, a less funny one. Um, this one's a quick one. Um, I didn't realize because back then, um, I don't know, like 15 years or so ago, 
um, I got a job at a for-profit university and I did not realize there was such a difference between for-profit and non-profit. And again, um, I'm making an overarching statement based on my experience and what I've seen, but I'm sure people have experiences in for-profits that are different. But I was super psyched about this job and I was supposed to be, uh, I had like weirdly two titles in one. It was a retention specialist and student advocate. And it didn't take me a lot of time to realize like the two titles were in direct contradiction to each other because I definitely felt a significant amount of pressure to retain students. And that was in conflict to actually advocating for them. And I don't mean like, a super subjective, like, hey, they're having a hard time with time management. Like, let's let's help them and stay, you know, like that's that's a gray area where you can really encourage and consider consider like what can we do to help you stay? This was like we didn't have the major they wanted to pursue. Like it was like a film and photography school, and they wanted to like be a psychologist. It was like definitely not a fit. But yet I felt um, a lot of pressure and I felt held accountable if I didn't retain them. So um, I think the lesson to me for that, which I reason I wanted to share it was for folks to go in to um, any scenarios like this, you know, really um, prepared to ask appropriate questions on how your success is measured, because I, I wish I would have really um, known more of what to ask about um, their environment and I would have hoped to have avoided that experience. Um, it took me, you know, almost a year to, to find another fit that was better. So that was, uh, that was a learning lesson for me as well. So please ask the right questions to, to avoid that. Um, another quick anecdote that I learned was I had always put, I've talked about this on various podcasts I've been on, but I always put like a specific job on a on a pedestal, which was being a faculty member, and, which is ironically how I know Solomon and James. But I I always thought, you know, when I, even when I got my master's, like I this is what this is it. This is what I want to do. I also had quite frankly put like the concept of elite schools on a pedestal, like a USC. Um, again, ironic since that's where I met Solomon and James. Um, and I and. When I started in the job and I began working at USC, and, and I have many, many great relationships with students and colleagues, um, but I, I quickly realized that I, I should have asked more questions about the culture of the university because I realized I, I definitely felt like I was a better fit for like a Cal State environment. Um, and I won't go into a lot of depth because I don't want to offend anyone, but it was just something that I learned through that. And then when it came to being a faculty member, you know, I don't think I really thought that much about what it meant to be a faculty member. I just thought it it was going to sound like a great thing to do. And, and, and there was a lot of components that I loved about it. Of course, I loved teaching. I still continue to teach. And when I, when I say teaching, I really mean the connections with students individually, like James and Solomon, um, and, and the being in the class for three hours uh, a week with the students. But 
you know, there there's not a lot said about the fact that being a faculty member is also kind of um, a solo job. You spend a large portion of your time grading papers and um, reading. And um, if you're tenure track, you do a lot researching. And I wish I would have just stopped and said, okay, how do I derive my energy? <laughs> what do I want to, at the end of the day, say, oh yeah, I did these things and it was fun. And um, I didn't stop, you know, to do that. I was driving down to, to downtown LA on my first day of the job. And I was like, I can't believe they picked me. And and it was like my imposter syndrome picked up. Um, but it was also just this like, wow, I've achieved this. But it was all to the point where I didn't really think if that this was really me. So um, for those of you who are job searching or trying to understand fit, I, you know, really think about that um, because it's, it's okay if you're a CSU person and not a USC person. Um, so give that advice. Any, any of my co-hosts want to comment on that? Does it resonate with any of your experiences? Yes, I have to jump in here because it resonates so strongly with me because there's just, you know, for for me in my career, I've uh, been at the same institution since I've started and um, I've had the opportunity to now work with two different teams within that same institution. And um, even there, the differences between the two are so different. You know, you can find a place maybe within um, a university that you don't fully see yourself you know, aligned with. But um, yeah, I, I disagree with what you said about what questions need to be asked in, in the beginning. I think that was absolutely a learning lesson. But also just knowing and having the experience on a team that you have found to be healthy for you and that you have found to be a place where you can thrive. For me, it was knowing that that team dynamic was even possible and achievable before I um, moved on. And I think that's what I took away the most from my first position is the type of community and team dynamic that was, um, you know, present there. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things in student affairs, particularly that we do is we, we, we sort of idealize um, promotion and rising up the ranks in student affairs um, but we forget that the higher we go in student affairs in terms of position, the further in the structure we are away from the reason we got into the field, which is the student. Uh, and so we have to intentionally reach out to students to spend time with them. I find myself having to intentionally leave my office to go to the student center, to walk around, to sit down at a table and have conversations with students and engage with them in ways that feel authentic to me to get my job done. Because I could spend all day, if I wanted to, just going to meetings and dealing with administrative items instead of doing what I really love about student affairs, and that's helping students be successful. And so I think you have to ask the right questions about your accountability and also figure out how you're going to incorporate the things you love about your job um, into your job as you begin to look to move on or advance or to change fields. And so I think that's just something that I've learned over the years to do. And so Dustin, I think you had something. And you... Yeah, yeah, and I'll bring us home here. Um, just really interesting. I think I'll make a little note here for folks to go check out the uh, job searching episode that we did because uh, I feel like that kind of came up a little bit in uh, Jamie's responses of just, you know, uh, 
a position, an organization that in and of itself can be a learning opportunity because you realize, uh, you know, yeah, you're like, you know, it's got too much of this, not enough of that and, and that sort of thing. And kind of working towards what's going to be a better, uh, better fit for you. Uh, but the other thing, I think the sentiment I just want to end on is that, you know, all of us shared all these things and we're still here, you know, like it, it, it can often feel, you know, that these mistakes or things uh, could be the end of the world. It's, you know, uh, just sort of world shattering and everything, but uh, you have to take them as those humbling learning opportunities. And, you know, so many of the ways that uh, we all shared where you kind of, you own it, you make it right. And then you keep on moving forward. So uh, hopefully uh, that was, you know, all the stories that we shared were reassuring in that way and uh, help you all to reflect on your own professional journeys and these sort of similar moments. So uh, feel free to share them with us. Uh, any other topics, guests, uh, and different things that we want to have in the future. But uh, thanks again to everybody for hanging out, sharing all that you did. And thanks to you all for listening to this episode. Thanks for listening to the Student Affairs Nerds podcast. For more information about the show and hosts, visit our website at studentaffairsnerds.com. Follow us on Twitter or Facebook at SA Nerds Pod to get the most recent updates about our show. If you have a great idea for a show, we would love to hear it and we'd love to feature you. Send your show ideas to podcast at gmail.com. And if you think our show is pretty great and totally nerdy, please leave us a review. 